For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, with the latest readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up email newsletter, to which you should definitely subscribe so you don't miss shocking items like this one, which is about COVID. Ah, what? Is that thing still around? Well, yes. And to hear some people tell it, it's worse than the worst thing ever. We were locked down, we were masked up, we were talked down to and shut out of schools and restaurants in a way that they never did for, say, typhus or polio or Spanish flu or anything. And whenever you tried to raise the downside of these lockdowns, they insulted you or said, well, if a measure saves just one life, then no sacrifice is too great or something. Except when it comes to global warming, apparently, since a new study warns that Europe faced an even worse killer than COVID last winter. And no... It wasn't heat. It was lethal cold. And what's worse, it wasn't cold that was outside. It was cold that was inside people's homes because panicky climate change policies had made energy unaffordable. The Economist says, quote, expensive energy may have killed more Europeans than COVID-19 last winter, end quote. Think they're going to lock anyone down over that one? The study started by determining that there had been about 149,000 excess European deaths in the winter of 2022-23 over what solid actuarial data says would normally have happened, and that 68,000 were due to inability to afford proper heating, as against 59,700 in COVID and a mere 21,500 on all other causes. But why would you blame expensive energy rather than just cold, or for that matter COVID, for killing granny? Well, for starters, a cold snap saw more deaths. But, the story notes, quote, last winter was milder than the average of 2015 and 19, so the cold alone cannot be responsible for the additional deaths, end quote. Thereafter, as real statisticians will, they started cross-checking other factors, and they found this frosted gun. Quote, countries with the highest excess deaths typically experienced the biggest increases in fuel costs, end quote, not the biggest drops in temperature. As The Economist added, while the spike in energy prices after Russia invaded Ukraine has subsided to some extent, quote, the prices of domestic electricity and gas, compared with two years earlier, were up by an eye-watering 69% and 145% last winter, end quote. Yikes. And since many vocal climate alarmists, from Canada's Prime Minister Trudeau to Professor Michael Mann, are determined to further increase such costs, it's not beside the point to mention that these people have no difficulty affording home heating on their lavish academic salaries or, in Trudeau's case, the public dime. It's called a social conscience, apparently. In the newsletter, we also note that the tale of the Canadian government's vast subsidy to Volkswagen to build a battery plant keeps getting worse in predictable ways that the great and good did not predict. As we pointed out last week, Stellantis promptly demanded a similar pile of money for its EV plant in Windsor, and then the Trudeau federal Liberals tried to throw Ontario Premier Doug Ford and his Tories under the electric bus, demanding that Ontario pay its, quote, fair share, end quote. Ford fired back, what is our fair share? As if everybody involved were doing math or perhaps economics. But they're not. They're doing hardball politics in which, as Brennus famously said, why Wictus? Okay, in case you didn't attend the school that they tore down to build the old school, the story is that Brennus and his Gauls defeated Rome's armies in 390 BC and agreed to lift the siege of the city only when promised a thousand pounds of gold, which Wikipedia prissily renders as 329 kilograms. But according to Plutarch, when the Romans complained that Brennus had set up a rigged scale, the Gallic chieftain theatrically threw his sword into the balance and cried, Woe to the vanquished, which is why Wictus in the highly efficient Latin language. 
Of course, as Ford discovered, a key Team Trudeau slogan is Why Amicus, meaning woe to our friends. But the big point is that once we announce that we can be extorted for subsidies, companies will keep hurling things onto the balance. As Ford admitted, while trying to make it sound like a boast, quote, our goal is to protect the people and the jobs in Windsor will do whatever it takes to protect those jobs, end quote. But to continue with classic now largely forgotten historical lessons, as Rudyard Kipling put it more than a century ago, quote, if once you have paid him the Dane geld, you never get rid of the Dane, end quote. This week's newsletter also presents a brief look at Parker Gallant's in-depth look at the Strathmere group of charities and nonprofits that have received hundreds of millions of dollars from the Canadian government over five years while smearing deniers as being in it for the money. And now, a word from our sponsor. And that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. Please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money, though. If you've got it, we'll take it. $2 a month, $3, $5. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. And, from the Subtle Science File, Heat Map tells us, quote, we know dangerously little about how hot it's getting inside, end quote, before claiming that they know all about it, quote, heat is the deadliest extreme weather phenomenon in the United States, end quote. Except it's not... Cold kills a lot more people, as it does even in hotter countries. Also from that file, quote, Bizarre unexplained rumblings in Earth's atmosphere puzzle scientists. Solar-powered balloons detected strange ultra-low frequency rumblings in Earth's stratosphere that so far scientists can't identify, end quote. Luckily, the atmosphere has nothing to do with climate change. Oh, wait. And from the, quote, Debate is over, we said so file, Michael Mann gives his fellow alarmists tips on how to lower the Twitter ranking of skeptics, which sure beats actually debating science with them. Then, from the Cosmic Awareness file, quote, Petromasculinity is poisoning the Canadian climate regime, an argument for a mandatory gender-based analysis plus provision for all Canadian environmental law, wins the Writing Them In essay contest by the hotbed of activism, the Canadian Bar Association. And Scientific Americommunism profiles a guy in India who's found a way to beat drought that California could use. See, you dig a hole and the water collects there. And how did they forget that, frankly, rather simple-sounding trick? Well, duh. Quote, the British Empire destroyed this way of water conservation, end quote. Also from the World Ends Women and Minorities Hardest Hit file, quote, in coastal Bangladesh, climate change devastates women's reproductive health, end quote. In the newsletter, we also noted that, according to CTV News in Vancouver, climate change has stopped evolution from working. They didn't phrase it that way, of course. They said, quote, climate change is knocking some Pacific salmon out of alignment with the growth of the ocean plankton they eat to survive, new research says, end quote. Whereas we say, bosh. Pacific salmon and trout are in the genus Oncorhynchus, and they range from Siberia to Mexico and Taiwan. They don't die if it's warm or if it's cold. Moreover, that genus appears to date back at least 7 million years, so it flourished in the Pliocene when temperatures were well above anything that journalists now call unprecedented. In fact, one species back then, the saber-toothed salmon, was 9 feet long, which certainly isn't proof that these fish croak if exposed to warmth or changing circumstances. Instead, as Darwin said, they adapt and rampage. True, Oncorhynchus has been under considerable pressure since the Earth began warming after the Little Ice Age, but not because of the warming. The cause is one of those real environmental problems from which climate breakdown increasingly distracts attention, namely habitat loss. 
In the newsletter, we also note that there are wildfires in Alberta, which could be connected with spring having come to Canada, where there are 300 billion trees made of wood, the same combustible stuff as fire logs, though not if you have a fake gas fire or a digital one. But Canada's Minister of Environment and Climate Change promptly tweeted that, quote, with thousands displaced from their homes and incalculable damages, Canadians are on the front lines of extreme weather events exacerbated by climate change, end quote. And the press quickly piled on, so quickly that they forgot to check the numbers that are conveniently charted in Canada's National Forestry Database. As you can see, the annual number of fires, that's the black line, peaked 20 years ago and has been declining ever since, while the total area burned, that's the brown columns, continues to fluctuate, peaking in 2019, then crashing. Now that was just Alberta. If we add Alberta's provincial neighbors, BC, to the west and Saskatchewan to the east, we see that the declining trend in fire numbers is still there, and there's even more variability in the total area burned. Moreover, 2015 now holds the record, with 2019 in the middle, meaning that a bad fire year in Alberta was nothing special next door, which is kind of hard to reconcile with global warming. Oh, heat map also pounced on the story with a crudely cartoonish map that had flames erupting from a bit of the United States vaguely near Alberta, as well as southern Spain and, for good measure, Brazil. Then, after conceding that these wildfires are, quote, a natural cycle, end quote, they blared, quote, This year there have already been 395 wildfires recorded in Alberta, significantly more wildfire activity for this time of year than we've certainly seen any time in the recent past, according to Christy Tucker, a spokeswoman for the province's fire agency, end quote to which we say, tell it to the National Forestry Service. They show the January to May totals in each year from 1990 to 2020 being regularly above 400, and if anything, they've declined over the past decade. Still, it's climate change, and we're all going to die, so never mind the facts. And speaking of dying, the Manhattan Contrarian accuses the American automobile industry in particular of being in Jonestown. Because new EPA regulations effectively ban internal combustion engines, though deviously in the fine print, and while car makers must know it, they're not saying anything. Look, if people lack the grit to object to bad science and worst policy, can't they at least protest against their own execution instead of going, ooh, what a pretty color, what flavor is this Kool-Aid? In the newsletter, we also continue our cool climate data series by looking at something else from Ryan Mawa, his tropical cyclone data. It seems that every year about 80 to 100 tropical storms develop around the world, of which about half become hurricanes and a quarter major hurricanes. It's not new, and it was happening long before fossil fuels were invented by the patriarchy. In fact, greenhouse gases don't seem to have changed anything. The pictures tell the story. This chart shows global annual number of hurricanes, that's the top line, and major hurricanes, the bottom line. And this one shows the accumulated cyclone energy for all hurricanes, that's the top line, and major hurricanes, again that's the bottom line, since 1970. And this one shows the division of the accumulated cyclone energy index between the northern and southern hemispheres since 1970, and this one shows the global number of tropical storms, top line, and hurricanes, bottom line, since 1970. There's just no trend. Mind you, it can be hard to keep up with what the settled science predicts on hurricanes, since every time a big one hits the United States or a Pacific Island, the usual suspects come forward to tell everyone this is exactly what we expected due to anthropogenic warming of the climate. Then, when someone points out that the data doesn't actually show an increase, experts say no problem, climate models actually predict that global warming will mean fewer hurricanes. Hence, with a hat tip to Judith Curry, quote, declining tropical cyclone frequency under global warming, end quote. 
The authors of this study say, we've only got reliable data on annual tropical cyclone frequency, that's TC, back to the 1970s, which shows, quote, no clear evidence of an observed trend in global TC numbers, end quote. But, the authors say, if we had data going back further, it probably would show them becoming less frequent because of increasing wind shear and dryness in the mid-troposphere, which climate models suggest will become more common under greenhouse warming and which decrease the number of hurricanes. So, to check, they compared a model reconstruction of past hurricanes with a model reconstruction of future ones, which again, sure beats looking at actual data on the principle of any panic in a storm, or in this case, any storm in a panic. Finally, in the newsletter, we bring you another item from the CO2science.org archive. This one exploring the idea that rising atmospheric CO2 will cause ocean acidification that in turn will wreak havoc on marine life, including coral. Specifically, it's a study from 2015 that looked at the Heron Island Reef Flat, which is near the southern end of the Great Barrier Reef, and found that ocean acidity varies a good deal, literally, from day to day, and the coral is fine with it. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I do not support freezing granny to death, unlike the compassionate idealists pushing a green energy transition where you transition from being alive to being not alive. 